It's Wednesday, July 22nd. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is The Pen Pod, a limited-run podcast from Pen America. On today's edition, the entertainment industry in transition. We talk to journalist and author Kim Masters about the reckoning in Hollywood over inclusion, equity, and fairness, plus how the entertainment business might change in the wake of COVID-19. Then, drama as reading, a World Voices Festival reading list. I'm Stephen Fee, all that coming up on The Pen Pod. Hollywood's been riven by discussions about race, equity, and the future of the industry. Already shaken by Me Too, the business is undergoing a financial and social reckoning amid the coronavirus pandemic and the renewed attention to anti-Black violence in America. Kim Masters has been following the ins and outs of the business. Indeed, she hosts KCRW public radio show, The Business. She's editor-at-large of The Hollywood Reporter and is author of The Keys to the Kingdom, The Rise of Michael Eisner, and The Fall of Everybody Else. And she joins me now. Hi, Kim. Hello. So, Kim, just give us a sense of what the entertainment industry is enduring um, these days with these two pandemics, really. I mean, a virus um, that's keeping people at home, um, but then also these issues of systemic racism. Like, what, what's the sort of 30,000-foot view? Well, in terms of the pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic, you know, Hollywood is in a complete... It's just shocking how you know, this, this industry had to shut down largely. Mm-hmm. And you see a company like Disney, which was gigantically the death star of Hollywood, you know, <laughs> dominating the box office and dominating in all kinds of different ways, suddenly, you know, struggling and figure, trying to open theme parks. And then, you know, they cl- opened the one, then they closed the one in Hong Kong. There's been a lot of blowback, a lot of controversy, but across the board, there's a shutdown in, and and people are desperate to figure out how to get back to work, but they don't know, you know, they're trying to come up with protocols. And I'm sitting here in LA where we have the surge right, right now. And a lot of people have been talking to me this morning saying there's absolutely no way our Mayor Eric Garcetti can allow production to resume here. Uh, a lot of people are looking to Georgia or overseas, the state of Georgia. I, I, I'm sort of listening to all this, like where we're planning to do this in Atlanta, you know, this production. And I think there's this surge in Georgia right now. And, and the governor won't even allow, you know, the mayor of Atlanta to mandate mass right. use. So really, is that what you're going to do? I mean, I, I, I just feel like there's there's a there's an urgent need and wish to get back to work. But so much of it feels like magical thinking. And there's, you know, are you really going to do it? Netflix is pushing really aggressively to get back. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, uh, and then you see things like, um, I mean, this is a long answer, but in terms of the writers, you know, they had this war going with the agencies and they, they told their members to fire their agents and most of them did. And it was pretty bitter, you know? And then there's just this, there's a settlement with one of the agencies, United Talent, question of whether the other agencies follow. And it, because, it, you know, it, it, it's not really clear what the settlement means, except that big picture, I feel like, you know, look, they made a, they, they, they did a contract with the studio, which some membership, it's not final, you know, some membership on the guild, among the guilds is not happy. It, the, the, the leverage is not so much there because 
everybody's in such a state of distress. So that's that pandemic. And the other pandemic, you know, you're going to see people coming forward and you're going to see stories that come out that I think will be potential career enders for certain people because it's almost like a, a, you know, when the Me Too moment happened and Harvey Weinstein was finally exposed as in the New York Times and the New Yorker, you know, our phones just lit up. Uh, mm-hmm. It was like nothing I've experienced in my life as a journalist. Uh, it was insane. And we're not getting quite like that, but we are getting calls from people who are reporting, you know, alleged racism on sets. We just saw CBS fire a major, major showrunner on a lot of big shows for them for a toxic work environment. So I feel like there's a racial reckoning and hopefully, you know, they're all, these companies are all putting out statements like we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Well, we'll see. But there's, it almost is like people have had enough, not only of that, that kind of injustice, but they just, this showrunner was fired for the toxic work environment that people are tired of being of abuse and are fired up. So we're going to see things happen like with this showrunner, with other people. I, you know, I have a story in the works that could potentially be not good for a couple of people and, you know, who are at high level jobs. And and I have other stories in the on deck circle. We're in that mode again, if we can't get to the stories because we just don't have the bandwidth. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I want to ask you about those statements, because I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of lip service. There's a lot of talk about change. And as you say, there have been some consequences. Um, And I'm wondering, uh, you know, are you forecasting change both on the level, as you say, of of, of sort of how the business is running um, in terms of its structure, in terms of development, in terms of what people and and, and which people get get to have opportunities uh, in, in the field? Um, but then also in the content of the industry, like, do you see reform there as well, that the kinds of stories that Hollywood is going to tell are going to change as a as a result of this moment? Well, that's always been the hope of the people who are underrepresented, that if we could get in the room, whether it's women, black people, you know, Latino people, whatever it is, if we could just get in the room. And then, then you, you know, I do think that in terms of certainly television, I think showrunners are going to be much more uh, aware of who they hire and what the representation is. The, the thing that always, uh, like, that you, you sort of, I mean, some people are going to get jobs. There's going to mm-hmm. be more representation. How much power will they actually have is the question. Like, I think it will, in a way, trickle up because of the writers. I think the writers will drive some of this, that the awareness of showrunners. And I think showrunners are at risk if they want to behave badly. Uh, on any in a variety of ways, I, if I were a showrunner, I would say the it's good to watch yourself right now. Uh, so, so you know, if they're in the writers' room and they're writing it, I, I don't, I don't know that a network executive is going to say, "Well, I don't like that because it's not white enough" or something of right. that nature. Uh, but you've got power. You know, it's concentrated in not that many hands in Hollywood. It's just not that many studios now. You know, there's. Fox now belongs to Disney. Uh, the Fox Fox is becoming a label at the Walt Disney Company instead of a studio on its own. So you're seeing this concentration. Of course, on the other hand, you have the advent of all the streamers. So you, you're seeing that still the power is concentrated in, an, in a, you know, a tight group, like really tight. We used to do a, and we probably will again do it, but maybe not this year, a power list and it was like a hundred. And I always used to say, if we were really telling the truth, it would be like 10. 
That's <laughs> how few, you know, like true power. Yeah. And defined as the ability to get something made because you feel like it, that you think it's a good idea, you like it. And that's in very few hands. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think that hopefully that's where the change has to happen. And I don't know if these people are firing themselves, you know, but they may at least... <laughs> They may, at the very upper rungs, start listening more carefully. You know, maybe. Yeah. Well, we had we had the authors of a of a letter from the the Black Writers Committee at WGA West. We had them on the podcast, and you know, it was um, uh, um, Bianca Sams and Hilliard Guess and and Michelle Amore. And you know, their point was, look, you know, come to us. Table set. We're here. We're ready to talk. We're ready to tell you about how to get more, you know, uh, in particular black writers um, into the mix. Um, you know, they say those entrees are going uh, uh, pretty much unheeded by folks in the industry. I mean, it seems like the opportunity is there if the studios want to take advantage of it. I, I mean, look, it's a it's a hard call to make right now. Yes, people are getting writing deals. That's the one thing you can do in a pandemic is write. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a, a maybe maybe the pandemic clogs things up. I, I, I mean, I just think that a lot of showrunners are, are going to feel pressure and or maybe they'll just, you know, have more awareness. And I see some some like even on Twitter saying, send me your scripts. If, you know, if you're this, if you're that I'm looking, you know, I want to I want to hire people like like, you know, who are black or who are Hispanic, whatever. So I, I don't know. I have to believe important showrunners will will, will see this as a necessity. I, I'm I, maybe there's a lag. I don't know. I can't believe this is just going to blow over and nothing happens, but I could be hopelessly naive. <laughs> yeah. I just think people are going to scrutinize. I mean, like mm -hmm. once I finish story A that I am now working on, there are stories about shows that we are have yet to do where there are allegations and, and we're seeing some of them and they're going to be, I believe, more that, you know, of discrimination. And stories like that, I think, will cause change. It's kind of unfortunate. You know, if you look at the Me Too Time's Up movement, almost everything that happened happened because of the media. You know, mm -hmm. Harvey Weinstein went down because of the media. We you know stories that we did about the head of Warner Brothers, about the head of Amazon Studios, about John Lasseter at Disney Pixar. Nothing would have happened if we weren't doing these stories. And it is a little frustrating to me that change is driven kind of by, you know, shame in the public square. Right. That's it. Nobody's spontaneously. But we if you start seeing stories stack up about racism on shows, even shows that you wouldn't imagine to be racist, you're going to see people start getting that nobody wants that kind of PR, you know, that nobody wants to lose their job over that. So even if their motives aren't even if they're not, you know, decent enough people to see the need for change, maybe they'll be forced into it anyway to at least make the appearance of some representation. Like, honestly, I hope so, obviously. Yeah. I mean, what about consumer pressure? Uh, you know, one of the things I was talking to with the, with the WGA West folks was, was that, you know, that, that people can, you know, uh, uh, speak with their, their pocketbooks. I mean, you know, you're already seeing, you know, calls for different boycotts and, and, and uh, to unsubscribe from certain services. I mean, is that having an impact at all? Are people worried about how tastes and how demands from consumers might help force some change? I don't know that they consumers, I mean, I, if there's, you know, if there's an article about a show and there's a ton of blowback, that's bad. Mm -hmm. 
I, I mean, it's, it kind of still goes back to the media because consumers, I don't know that they're necessarily going to know what goes on behind the scenes unless the media tells them. Right. But, um, you know, look, Fox News is impervious, you know, to shame. Mm-hmm. And they're impervious to boycotts because, you know, for I, I, you know, I still have a cable bundle and Fox News is included. Right. And that's where they make their money. They make their money on subscription, you know, the fees from the cable provider. So I can't call my, my cable company and say, I'm dropping you unless you drop Fox news. I mean, I can, but they're just going to be like, yeah, well, that's see you later. going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how you pressure. I mean, you know, I, I, if Tucker Carlson is still employed, honestly, I just don't understand how anything gets through to the Murdochs. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me just just the last question, because you raised it in in your first answer. You know, obviously, we're a writer's organization and we count among our membership uh, screenwriters. And, you know, you mentioned how, you know, at least that's something you can do during a pandemic is write. But what Mm -hmm. has the outlook been like right now for screenwriters generally? Oh, it's a complicated thing. You know, I mean, I, I, it's, it, they can, they, they can work and they can get deals and people are moving forward. They're really, you know, like I said, planning to, they hope they're going to shoot this. They hope they're going to, sh- I had a producer tell me yesterday that he's never been so busy. Hmm. I don't, I mean, then the streamers of course are gobbling up content and that's been great for writers. Uh, so that's a good thing. You know, it's a, it's a good time to be a writer. Uh, there was a bit of a mess with this representation issue with the agents, uh, but they figured ways workarounds eventually. And but it, it did seem to favor those who were already established, right? Mm-hmm. That you know, if you didn't have representation or you didn't have a name and a resume, and there was a lot of stuff where they were trying to do online at the Writers Guild and you know in, have mixers and whatnot for people to meet. I don't know how effective that was, right? Uh, but you know, the effort was made. And, uh, gosh, I really do hope, I mean, I think that, you know, I think that we are at a point where a, a poor representation is going to become a problem. I, I, and so, so I think they can work. I mean, I think that's good. I think it's tough to break in if you're new. I think that they, there will be some looking around and trying to hire more diverse writers rooms. That's what I think yeah. right now. Well, I, I know you're busy with lots of reporting, but have, are you making time to read anything or listen to anything or watch anything that, that you're really enjoying right now? Well, I, gosh, you know, I have to say I have what I call pandemic brain mm-hmm. and I found it incredibly difficult to focus. I'm trying to, I am trying to read and my mind just, I'm, I think we're all sort of amped up too. If those of us in the media world with, you know, what is on my Twitter feed and what did Trump do now and what's happening in, in Oregon? You know, like there's so much incoming, uh, you know, what, what, what is the state of play with my city where I live and is, is LA on lockdown or, you know, it's hard to focus, but yeah, I watched Palm Springs on Hulu and that was fun. I rewatched better things, which is one of the greatest shows. I think in the history of television, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really love better things. If you haven't seen it, uh, and I'm trying to read this n- novel, the uh, posthumous memoir. I don't even know if I'm saying it. Memoirs of Brass Cubas, which seems really funny and entertaining. But I, like I say, whenever I settle down to read, I start thinking maybe I better check my Twitter feed. <laughs> I know. It's the horrible pressure. But um, but look, well, Kim Masters covers the uh, business on her radio show, The Business, and is editor-at-large of The Hollywood Reporter. Thank you so much for being here. 
drama, playwright Si'an Chen writes, is all about language and performance. But in this moment of social distancing, theaters are closed indefinitely and the world is cut off from live performance. Still, in this World Voices Festival reading list, Chen offers up five collections of plays from five writers from five different countries. Each collection, she writes, offers plays of energy. You can read Chen's full essay and peruse that reading list on our website, pen.org. And that's our episode for Wednesday, July 22nd. Join us tomorrow for the Pen Pod. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Sign up on our website for our daily Dare newsletter. That's where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee for Pen America. This is the Pen Pod. See you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.